Well, we've had a whirlwind this week. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been through a washing machine, you know, and I was inside uh, tumbling around in there with all the crazy emotions and thoughts going on with elections and so on. And I ran across this Psalm, uh, Psalm 11, and um, one of the verses says, When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And um, I kind of feel like that in a way. I, I feel uh, rightly or wrongly, maybe you could agree with me, you, you might feel the same way, like things are a little topsy-turvy, even on our national scene, and um, a little confusing, and there's lots of opinions and things flying around, and the Christian community has opinions, but they're all divided and, and diverse as well. So I just want to read a, a Psalm 11, and then I'm just going to pick up with a few verses here. In the Lord I take refuge. That's a good place to start right there. So uh, I'm taking there. I could just take that verse, and that's what I'm doing right now. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked behind bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Now, you may feel like that's been a little bit more than usual, but uh, actually like a normal fair, the devil's been doing that for years, so I don't think there's too much to be afraid of. It's just that sometimes he's more sneaky than others. But arrows at the upright in heart from the shadows is a normal fair for the demonic powers and the evil ones that we deal with. And the Bible's clear about that. We don't wage war against flesh and blood, do we? But ultimately, it's against powers and principalities, authorities in high places. Now, this is that verse that I have as the title of our message. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. The Lord is in His holy temple. Uh, he never left, so uh, even though uh, we may feel insecure right now, all's well. The Lord hasn't deserted us, gone on vacation anywhere. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. That means he's ruling and reigning just like he always has. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. He didn't miss anything. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who have loved, loved violence, he hates with a passion. There's a difference between the Lord examining the righteous and what the Lord does with those that love violence and are wicked, right? So he's still uh, dealing with them while he uh, examines us and watches our heart, watches over our heart. Um, this is also going on at the same time. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their light. A lot, excuse me. For the Lord is, gen is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. I like that. And I'm already seeing his face, but I think I need to see it more. How about you guys? But that's our promise. Because in the end, the Lord is the righteous one. He's the one in charge, and he loves justice. Aren't you glad that he does that? So I want to just, uh, I have a little outline here, and uh, I want to just go through it a little bit and... Um, uh, so there are foundations that are actually critical and necessary to keep our nation and any nation from being destroyed. And seeing as how this is the time of the elections and stuff, I want to talk about those foundations. The Bible says when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? So the Bible records a long history of nations being destroyed because of their wickedness. But God's people have a unique place in preserving nations and the cities in them. And it's so interesting because uh, one of my favorite passages of the scripture is in Genesis uh, chapter 18. And it's the story of Abraham who um, is caught with a political situation. It's interesting because God tells him that uh, there's going to be some trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's very interesting how he prays. And it's so insightful, I think, for this time that we're in. So... Um, so Abraham, I'm just going to start with verse 16, and the heading above it says, Abraham pleads for Sodom. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. Now, these aren't men, they're angelic powers, authorities. And uh, I don't know, and there's sort of some debate about that. But anyway, let's just say they're supernatural uh, for God on his side, right? And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? So the Lord's obviously right here in the middle of all this. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. By the way, that dynamic is still happening today, which is so remarkable after all these centuries. This dealing with what God did with Abraham is still in motion. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I'll go down and see what they have done, if what they have done is as bad as the outcry and has reached me. If not, I will know. Now, the Lord knew already, but this is language to help us to know that God actually is in the middle of all kinds of things that are going on, evil things and good things. 
The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. It's very interesting. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Because he's realizing that there's so much wickedness in this particular area that it's a good chance that this whole place could be destroyed. What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? So I want you to think for a moment. There's lots of righteous people in our cities, our towns, our states. The holy nation is within the United States and other areas of the world as well. But we have good representation. I've traveled around the world many times, and uh, I just am so grateful for how many of the holy people, the righteous people, those that know Jesus Christ, are in the land. So he says, well... Wonder if there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Now he's being a little bit sneaky because he knows that his relative's there and he's afraid he's going to get judged and get swept away with the judgment that's coming. So he starts high, he starts with 50, you know, maybe God will relent with 50 righteous people. But the principle is very powerful. The principle is that we are salt, we are leaven, we make a difference. Our very presence in the United States or whatever nation we're a part of is recognized in heaven. And God takes account of our presence with whatever he does or allows to happen on the earth. This is a really great thought. Just by our presence, just because we're here, things are different. We're salt and light even despite ourselves sometimes, but God wants us to be on purpose salt and light too. The Lord said, if I find righteous, 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he speaks to him. So he keeps going down and down, goes to 40, then he goes to 30, then he goes to 20, and finally gets to verse 32, then he said... May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Now, even in those cities, they were, they were fairly large. I mean, even ten people is a pretty low amount. And so it's just so great. For ten people, he's not going to destroy this place. Ten righteous people. And, you know, he knows Lot and his family kind of make up a, a huge percentage of that. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. So God's people have a unique place in preserving nations and cities just by living in them. And I think that's of great comfort to us. So he deals with countries and nations, but he's ever mindful of us, his children, and what I call the holy nation, what the Bible is what God calls us. Now notice how the foundation of, Ab uh, of God's blessing on Abraham depends on how he trained his children and they, how they obeyed his, his uh his teaching. So I want to go back to the very beginning of these verses. He says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed uh, through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. So he's giving this long range promise. So I believe nations have promise. They have long-range promises if they will accept those promises, long-range good. And so if we do right with our children, if we train them right, and if there's enough believers training their children right, then the atmosphere should get better and better, right? But if we falter in our training of our children, especially in what he calls righteousness, then guess what? There's going to be more and more trouble. So... He's chosen Abraham, so and, and the thing that he wants him to do most, he wants him to direct his children, his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So then as the generations come and go, there's an amplification of the presence of God in those uh, uh, cities and uh, nations to where uh, Abraham's children were going to end up, especially there in the promised land. So interesting thing is... Uh, Israel failed miserably at her task. She began to worship through the centuries uh, other gods, and it didn't really take that long. They got into some trouble early. But uh, it got reached a critical point at one time in their history to the point where they were actually sacrificing their children, the foreign gods. They were actually literally in the valley 
there near uh, Jerusalem, they were literally um, sa- sacrificing their kids to get favor with these foreign gods. So they were literally killing their own children, right? And so Jeremiah uh, 7, uh, verses 30 to 34, uh, 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 Jeremiah prophesies about this. He says, The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the valley, the high places of Topheth and the valley of Ben-Hanum, which is the valley where they were doing this, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command nor did enter my mind in terms of any kind of service they would do for me, right? So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Topheth or the valley of Ben-Hanum, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room. Then the carcasses of this people will become food for the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and the voices of the bride and the bridegroom in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, for the land will be desolate. And despite this warning, they kept doing what they were doing, and they were ultimately destroyed. Now, as I go along, I'm just going to mention a couple of things, and this is a very difficult sermon in some ways for me because... People's emotions and their thoughts are all over the place, but I think we can come around uh, certain scriptures, and uh, I know in our church we're in unity about certain key items, and for uh, one of those items would just be abortion. And so one of the biggest things that I'm concerned about for our whole nation is the murder of innocent children. And um, this is a big deal, and it didn't come through too heavily in the election, but actually as we're going to be talking about a few political things today, I just think it's really front and center because when we get to the place where we're having these abortions, they look so antiseptic, they look, uh, you know, so innocuous to some people. But it's so important for even believers that we don't sort of uh, go along with the attitude of our culture and get caught in it even a little bit because, the frank, frankly, uh, the Bible uh, thinks of this and God thinks of this as murder. We're we're not doing what he told Abraham to do, bringing our children up in the strength and admonition of the Lord. Instead, we're cutting their life short before they even have a chance to live. If they were entirely responsible for the life of that baby, uh, that would be one thing, but they're not. Conception is an act of God as well as human will. And so uh, this is so important, even in the worst of circumstances, I believe. And so um, there's this man, um, actually one of the representatives and he actually didn't make it this year. Um, he's been in the uh, legislature for uh, since 2004. And I thought it was really interesting what he had to say. Um, I got this uh, out of the Epic Times, and uh, which is a new little newspaper that's come out. I hope uh, some of you have had a chance to read it. It's pretty insightful, and it comes from a, generally a, a good point of view, I think, uh, for, for Christians. And... Um, and so he, he was actually, uh, interestingly enough, he, he, has a back, he had a background, a, a huge background. He was actually educated as a scientist, Christian congressman uh, from Illinois. And uh, so he said this as one of the only pro-lifers in the Democratic Party. He said, first of all, that uh, in the Democratic Party, when he got there in 2004, there were 60 uh, pro-lifers, you know, amongst the Democrats. And now, uh, he says, there's only two, and actually only one, because he didn't make it to re-election. So that he knows of, there's only one pro-life person in the entire Democratic Party. So this is what he wrote. I think it's very interesting as a legislator and having to grapple with this great concern across our nation, a great concern in Christian circles, especially and across the land. He said, he wrote this article, he said, faith and reason go together. The science clearly shows us that life begins at conception. I like that. We've heard lately all about the science, the science, the science, you know, especially with regard to COVID-19. Well, he says the science with regard to this, which he says, you know, everybody should be paying attention to, clearly shows us that life begins at conception. I believe in following the science when the science is clear, he said. If you really want to change the world, you must choose and take Jesus into the public square. I think that's true. I really think that's true. So as the days go on, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, increasingly, it's going to be important for us to speak up uh, for the unborn. Now uh, more than ever. Great thing about President Trump, uh, which I really, really appreciated, he was against abortion and uh, a large part of the Republican Party, though not all. 
And so as we make this transition, it's important for us to stand up as believers and uh, not just get swept away with the crowd or the politics. This is one of those times where there are some things that might be negotiable, th some things that wouldn't be worth standing up about, but this will be something that we will have to get in the public marketplace about again. We will have to, and we never, had to, we never stopped actually. And he, I like what he said. He says, if you really want to change the world, you must choose and take Jesus into the public square. So I foresee that we're going to have to take Jesus into the public square about this one a little bit more than we have even in times gone past. I was really happy, as well, I know a number of you, with the stance they took, but I'm not sure how much progress we really made uh, in the uh, government. Uh, but uh, there was some uh, definite resistance and definite change and some definite, definite prohibition and on the governmental level uh, at least. And uh, I just really respected this man who spoke up, you know, and and, of course, someone took his seat who actually is pro-life, and I'm sure he's praying for that person and praying for the work that he did. Now, having said all that, here's something very, very important. Because I don't think very many people do very well with condemnation, you know. And, uh, and maybe you've had an abortion, or maybe you got involved, you know, when you were young, or maybe some other time you were confused or under a tremendous duress or whatever. The thing is, about this abortion sin... Listen, like any other sin, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I'll just read it. If we claim to be without sin, we deserve it. He sees ourselves. He can say, well, I did it. You know, I, I, I've been involved with abortion. I've been supporting abortion. But when you come to this place where you say, look, I, I realize that was wrong now. You know, if we claim, we deceive ourselves and, uh, about it, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So the thing is, we need purifying from unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is not this, this strange thing that's out there and, and marking you as a dark person. Unrighteousness empowers demonic activity in your life. It, it causes things. The, the enemy never stops in one place when he gets a foothold. He's like cancer. He just keeps on trying to eat away at your life. And you can get free of the negativity and the guilt and all of it simply by telling Jesus, well, I did it and I know it was wrong and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And um, I think that foundation of repentance from that particular area needs to stay in the foundation. And um, I think that it gets into the league of sacrifice of, uh, of, of children because actually of all the horrible things that Israel did for all those years, you know, even decades, maybe a couple of centuries, you know. When they did this, when they got to this place, it was the last step before they were completely judged as a nation. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go there, and I don't want to go there as an individual either. Jesus forgives any person, any city, or any nation who just says, look, I, I did it. I was deceived. I, I shouldn't have been in that place. And as we enter into this next stage, I think it's so important that the righteous continue to stand up for the unborn, it's really, really important that we not get intimidated. This is really important. And we need to join the public discussion on this. And that's how we make impact uh, for Jesus, all right? Now, there's other foundations of our nation. And uh, they might not be as serious, but I believe they're important. They're, they're in the fabric. They're, they're really uh, important. And we have to get these right, too. Maybe not the same on the scale of, of abortion, but still they're important. And one of them is uh, that I've been noticing through this election time is the protection of the property of others. So over the summer, uh, in the middle of the riots, uh, there's lots of destruction of uh, pri property, and, and some people just thought that wasn't really important. But it's important. Well, I think the worst thing about it was that there were so many people that didn't think it was a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a foundation of every culture in place. Property has to be respected. That's why even the invasion of the White House as it went was such a hard thing because they were trespassing. They were destroying things. They were coming in in a place that where they were not allowed. And, um, and it's a serious thing. And uh, it got serious, of course, and especially the White House, my goodness. So when the riots were happening and stuff, we heard people quote Martin Luther King a lot. And here's what he said about riots. He says, I, I think we got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to learn? Well, I'll give him this, that we had failed to learn a whole lot, especially back then. We're learning better. I'm sure some would say that we still haven't learned enough. So I could see his point on that side, but still 
I just think in the last analysis, the destruction of property and not respecting people's space and their home space and their cars and so on, this is a foundation stone that um, is, uh, when it gets marred with violence, gets confused. The message may have something behind it. There may be some reality, maybe some frustration, some real frustrations, even some frustration that I think might be warranted. But nevertheless, it confuses. It doesn't give us answers. It doesn't move us toward a good place, even for those that are rioting and for the result. I think the sum total uh, might be good on some sides, but for most sides, um, I don't think it communicates very well. And I don't think, and if we have to resort to violence to communicate, we're in a really difficult place. So as believers, we should not be advocating for violence. We should not be uh, saying that that's okay. Uh, oh, look what they're doing, or look what they're doing, you know. Um, what about our cause? You know, and as I was looking, honestly, I was looking at those uh, uh, people who were protesting, and uh, I don't think the protest was so bad. Uh, uh, I think in... And, you know, going past and doing illegal things is bad and horrible. But I was thinking to myself, you know, as I'm listening to the commentators speaking, you know, the whole issue here isn't even this. The real issue is that people don't think that they got their voting rights. They don't think that the election was safe. This is a foundation stone. It's hard to speak about because there's all kinds of opinions about it, but it has to be keep spoken about because it's a foundation when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And when a huge percent of the Republican Party and a good 20% of the Democratic Party, I heard the number that, that the other day, a much larger percentage for the Republican Party don't think the election was fair, then we have a really big problem. And through my lifetime, I've been through a, a, a lot of elections, you know, and uh, the person that I wanted to get elected didn't always win. But I can't remember a time when I ever thought that the election was unfair or that there was something wrong with the way it was done. This time was different for me. I just got to admit that. And so I'm trying uh, personally to cope with that. And um, I think even what uh, generated the, 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 uh, the thing that Trump did, which was, uh, I think, great and in bounds, and then the following uh, spillover to the White House, is just this dissatisfaction about the voting rights somehow or another that uh, this was not a fair election. And there's an awful lot of people that feel that way. And I don't think this can be swept under the rug, and I don't think it ever really will be. I don't think that we should advocate violence in any form. We'll get into that in just a moment. But I just think that we're in a pause right now. And uh, as we're going to get to at the end of this, we're going to talk really about some of the things that we can do to really help. What does it look like to love justice as a believer? I'm going to get to that in a moment, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I'd like you to consider something that I think is at least troublesome and part of the um, equation. So... Uh, we're going to have, I was noticing uh, in an interview with Tucker Carlson, I, I, I was noticing that um, actually we're going to have a, uh, an assistant attorney general of civil rights, uh, a new one evidently, uh, and I think she'll be appointed here soon. And in this interview, um, it didn't concern her that voter IDs are a barrier to ordinary people who want to vote. In other words, they believe that voter IDs are not necessary. They're a barrier to ordinary people. That's what she said. So if we don't have voter IDs, we don't really know exactly who's voting. That's a foundation. Uh, that's probably a non-negotiable. And that one's going to be really hard because people need to feel secure about their election. And so I don't know if you knew that, but um, if you can imagine this, that um, the head of this civil rights division, or at least the higher up there, is not going to be concerned about um, voters that don't have a good ID. And I think a good po po possibility that happened a little bit during this last election. And so uh, they don't want it to be a barrier because they think that they might not have their act together. They might not have, ordinary people might not have some kind of identification. But if you put that two together with the open border policy that is going to probably be a part of the administration, in other words, they want open borders much more so than the other. And if we have this swarm of people coming in and people don't have IDs uh, to vote as citizens, then what are we going to do? Uh, and how will the, the elections uh, be swayed? And um, there's a good bit of room for unfairness. And I would think that the other side wouldn't even want this. Because if it continues, this is a really difficult thing. And I don't think people are going to be able to deal with this. So I just think we should know this as the holy nation. We need to be aware of these policies and things. And 
And there's other policies that also are grievous, you know, that college admission is not only on the basis of uh, you know, not only uh, your qualifications, but uh, there's a fair amount of, of uh, admission that will be based on color of your skin or race, and that's very much in the, the uh, ideology, especially of the party that appears to be uh, voted in uh, at the moment, the Democrats. So uh, maybe that's a smaller one, but uh, these, this voter ID thing and um, people feeling comfortable about their elections is extremely important. And so... As all of our people, I just want to make sure that we're very much aware of this, that we're praying about this, that we're concerned about it, and we probably should be active in some way about this. At the least, we just need to know who's voting. It's so important, and that they should be voting, and that they're not voting multiple times, that we're secure in that place. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I've mentioned a few problems, and I'm sure there's a lot other problems. There always is problems, by the way. This is just another season. This season that we're in right now, it's just a little bit more uh, crazy, uh, mixed together with COVID-19, uh, uh, where we're trying to figure out who gets a vaccine and who doesn't and these things. So there's lots of craziness in the air. Uh, we've been in troubles before, uh, and we will be in the future. I mean, these things come, come and go, storms go and come and go. So I wouldn't want to overreact. But I think it's very, very interesting. Uh, as we read along in Psalm chapter 11, uh, I want to just read uh, again. Verse 3, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And um, I think that uh, one thing we can do is we can take refuge in the Lord and His words. And this is important. If you look at verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? This is not a time for us to flee like a bird to our mountain and hopes that the troubles that we're facing in our culture right now, now go away. I'm not advocating for that at all. I think that verse one's critical. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? I have to go somewhere. I have to have a place I go. I have to actually engage with the Lord in this and with others, right? Especially when there's unrighteousness and injustice. Psalm 11.2 has always been true. And as long as there's a devil prowl on the earth will always be true. For look, the wicked bend their vows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. That's a promise. And that's something we should take absolutely seri serious. Our enemy shoots from the shadows. I'll just give you a tiny example of this. And I think we'll be recognizing this, uh, these kinds of things more and more. And we're going to have to be able to react in the right way. And I want to just say in the right way. Uh, and I'll get to that in a moment. But it's very interesting. I was just... Um, wandering through our new school, and I do say our new school, uh, we added some more grades, and I don't know, I think we have 80-something kids, and the biggest reason why we started that is we realized the environment we're in. So this is a good example of how I think sometimes uh, believers need to, uh, when the foundations are being destroyed, they need to do something. And I realized that the education system has been so uh, perverted and distorted the public schools about what can be taught and even right now about whether they can even meet publicly and so on and so forth. I just reminded me of this little phrase, uh, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright and heart. And I, I was so blessed. I, 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 uh, a little girl was down the hallway and uh, she had her book and she showed me her curriculum. And I think it was on history or something, you know, or I, I can't remember what the subject was, but I'm looking through there. And I was so blessed because I'm looking at history, uh, I think it was history, that I'm recognizing that I'm aware of, you know, and all that, and uh, from time history. But then there's these scriptures right alongside. And I thought, wow, you know, the arrows of false ideology and philosophy and perverted things even are not going to get in my, our kids' heads. We're protecting that. We're learning exactly what we need to know to be educated and function in the society. But at the same time, uh, we are protecting, we're, we're covering these enemies that shoot from the shadows. They're not going to come in the shadows of our curriculum and work their way in with strange ideas and thoughts that build upon other thoughts and that make our kids uh, reach a really a, a crazy place by the time they get to college. So we should start early, right? We should start early, and I'm so proud of that, you know. We have to realize that many of the things that we're dealing with is sort of like the proverbial story of the frog, you know, being boiled in its own wa in uh, boiling water. But if you turn the heat up slow, it won't jump out. 
And so, you know what happens if the frog stays in that place when the heat's uh, uh, turned up slowly? It'll die. So sometimes our environment is so polluted and it's so numerous and so much around us that we're being boiled, you know, without even knowing it. It's so important that uh, we don't allow that to happen, the, the, the shots that are coming from the shadows at the upright and heart. No, in verses 3 to 5, um, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Look at these verses. It says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. Sometimes I think we don't know. We, we, we think maybe the Lord's not examining. He's gone on vacation. No, He daily examines everybody, including us. And then He says, The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, He hates with a passion. So those that love violence, he not only does not like them, but heaven hates them. He does not like those who love violence. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their light. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. Well, you know, uh, there's something that you'll have to deal with God about that one, but that's the truth. This is what the Lord says. He, he loves righteousness. He loves peace. He doesn't lo love violence. Now, I would just say for those that say that violence is an end to a means, I just don't think that it really works very well. You know how I know that? Because God hates violence so much. So, you know, however we look at it, uh, it doesn't usually work very well. It might be some extreme thing or it might be something we'd have to do in another country to protect our families or our household or something. I don't know, those get too big for me. But, oh, it's a rule. That's the way he is. He loves justice and he reveals himself uh, to the upright. I like this verse 7. This is a promise for us during this time as we're dealing with our foundations of our own country and sometimes in our own faith. For the Lord is righteous, He loves justice, the upright will see His face. And for me, there's such a promise. We just got to make sure that we manage our own households, our own families, our own church as well. And this upright uh, will, you know, it can be very symbolic. The upright will see His face. You know, it's sort of romantic or kind of detached a little bit. I think what he's saying there is the upright will hear his voice. The upright will know what to do. The upright will be able to see God in all these situations. And I don't know about you, but that's one thing that I've been really trying to do. God, what are you doing here? Where are you in this situation? Where are you at this rally? Uh, where are you at this demonstration? Where are you? What's your opinion of what that guy just said? Where, what's your opinion of the president? What's your opinion of that senator over there? What, what's your opinion of how these people are demonstrating on the street? What's your opinion? I think that's really important. And I think if we ask God with, a, with an open heart, his upright, the upright will see his face. So one thing I've had to guard my heart about is letting my, my emotions get out of control and go too far down any patterns and places that I think the Lord wouldn't be pleased with. I need to learn to keep my peace even when there's not peace around because God's the Prince of Peace. It's so important that we hold our peace, that we are in that place where we know who we are. We're special people. He, we're loved, you know, and we'll see His face. What I mean by that is, He'll reveal himself to us. He'll show us the right path. He'll show us the way we should go. And we should expect to receive supernatural wisdom for difficult situations. We really should. And that's been a great comfort to me in this situation that we've been in with regard to this COVID-19. You know, um, I, I, I ran across this scripture that was so important to me. The Spirit of the Lord is a love, power, and a sound mind. You've heard me say this over the last several weeks because I really didn't know. Some versions call it self-discipline, but I, I really didn't know what that meant as well. Uh, and, and now having gone through this crisis, I'm realizing God not only gives me love, He gives me power, but He helps me get a good uh, wisdom about things. Um, I think in Ecclesiastes it says there's a proper time and procedure for everything under the heaven. It's nice to know that God will give you the procedure and the time, what, what you're supposed to do in the situation. So we've had to adapt as a church. You know, I see this church doing that and that church not doing this and this doing that and, and this person saying that. But in the end, I have to be able to say, hey, God, what am I supposed to do? Well, the upright will see his face. The upright, God will tell them, and then you do it in peace. So every step that we've taken with regard to opening or not opening the church, public, outside, inside, around, uh, everything has been bathed in prayer, and we feel really secure about where we're at right now because we feel like we're doing what God wants us to do. And, you know, here's another thing. Just because you're doing something doesn't mean everybody else has to do something. So there's a lot of people peeking all around because they're insecure. We don't need to be insecure. We can see what another person's doing that might be very different than ours. Even another church is very different than us and be perfectly happy with it. 
you know? It's just when we get rigid and make everybody kind of come underneath our own thing, you know, and we just have to know what the justice the Lord wants from us, what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to respond to, especially in our world. If the Lord gives us a larger world, then we have to think about that as well. But God is full of a sound mind. He's full of grace. He'll let us see his face. He'll never leave us or forsake us, especially when he gets supernatural leading for difficult situations. And many things that our country's facing, they're not going to be easy. They're not easy to sort through. They're not even easy to talk about. Even with your friends, even with your family, maybe you've noticed that. Even with your family, it's not easy to talk with. So, so we just have to say that uh, um, even though some foundations are being uh, uh, threatened, uh, we just have to make sure that we keep our peace and walk how God wants us to do. So what does it look like to love justice as a believer? To love what you think God loves as a believer? Well, here's the thing. First, we pray for justice often and fervently to the Lord of the whole earth. Think of it is, if you don't have a prayer life, and many people really don't have much of a prayer life, they don't have a lot of confidence. And they don't hear His voice very well. I love prayer so much because prayer is my solution. Prepare because I know that God loves me. So we even pray that. We even sometimes pray it very religiously. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Our Father who art in heaven. Do we really believe that? We just said I'm addressing the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe as my dad. Well, if I really believe that, that's a good start, isn't it? Our Father who art in heaven. And there's things I can pray for myself. Lord, I need bread. Lord, deliver me from evil. All kinds of things. Deliver me from enemies and so on and so forth. So to love just as a believer, first of all, we need to have this amazing prayer life before the Lord. And if you look at the psalm just before the one that we've been looking at, Psalm 11, verse 10, look what the psalmist says. And there's many of these uh, little things and uh, little spurts uh, in the psalms. It's a book of prayer and worship, basically, the psalms are. So he says, Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. So that might be us sometimes. Lord, I feel a little helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? You know, you're looking at these prosperous, the wealthy people, people that are inserting their will, that you know good and well is wrong. You know, why does the wicked man, why, is the, why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. So for me, the Lord takes care of me. And so he's just crying out like this. He's, he's asking the Lord to intervene in his situation. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. It's a picture of when we don't feel very secure. We don't feel like uh, very much under control or authorities helping us. And then he gets violent about this. He says, Lord, you do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. But I, I need you to do this. Lord, break the arm of the wicked man the one that's causing all kinds of troubles in our culture or in our life. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that, that would not otherwise be found out. There's a lot of that stuff going on in secret. But you know how you take care of secret things? You pray to a, to a God in secret, and he hears you. And if enough of the holy nation is praying, crying out to God about these things, the Lord hears corporately. And he hears us always individually as well. You, Lord, matter of fact, it says it right here. Hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. And you listen to their cry. So if you want to grieve or cry out, you always have someone's listening. But more importantly, you have someone that's listening that can actually do something about the problem. And here's what you do, God. You defend the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere mortals, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike, again strike terror. So ultimately, in situations of the fatherless, the oppressed, as the church begins to pray, ultimately the Lord deals with the situation. And we may have to be in that place for some time. But if you're prayerless, it's going to be very difficult for you in this time because we may not be able to sort all the signals out all at once or get what we want or get what we think is justice or even get the foundations restored to the place we think they need to be right away. But if you're praying, we'll eventually get there. Nothing can resist the praying body of Christ. Locally, extra locally, don't care how large it is. Now, it's interesting. If we look at Luke chapter 18... Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I think that's a good word. I've noticed some people get so disappointed about the attitude of this politician or about the, uh, the, this kind of thing that's going on in the country or so on, especially these days. They just give up. This is exactly the wrong direction to go. God tells us a parable. He tells, Jesus told this parable. In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Plenty of people think there's authority figures that don't care what anybody thinks, and they don't fear God for sure. 
But look at this. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Oh, I love this. Lord, grant us justice. You could pray that now. Lord, grant us justice against your adversaries and ours. Things that don't have your intention in mind. I, I just love to pray it because I don't feel like much praying it. I, who am I? I'm just one little individual person. I'm like a widow. But God hears that. This whole thing is about people like me. For some time he refused. Sometimes we don't see things happen right away with our prayers. But finally he said to himself, you know, I don't fear God or care what people think. Yeah, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> she was persistent. Even though she was weak, this is what we need to be. We don't want to be out loud and obnoxious, but we need to be powerful with God. We need to keep wearing him out. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. You want justice for your country? You want justice in your, country, your land? You want justice in your family, your life, your city, your school, whatever it is? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And evidently praying like this is faith. It's an expression of faith. So the question is whether we're dealing with the invisible world or not, whether we have enough faith to actually go to a Heavenly Father we can't see and ask Him for things that deal with demonic things we can't see that are oppressing the whole system. You see, that's what He's talking about. So what is it like to love justice as a believer? First of all, to pray for justice often and fervently to the Lord of the whole earth, right? Second, we make the weakness of the weak our main business. This is something that I really wanted to do my whole life. And I feel like we're doing better and better here about that. So we have, obviously, some things that we think are important about our church that we should be doing. They're high values in the church, right? Preaching the Word of God, uh, the expression of worship, uh, the multiplication of spiritual gifts, the uh, concern and love for one another, and building one another up in love, and all the other things. There are just so many things, benevolent things, and uh, merciful things and uh, uh, things for our kids, things for our youth, all these programs and things that we build around. But the thing is, I think in this sort of environment especially, especially, it's so important that we make the weakness of the weak our main business. It's always our main business, actually. It just shows up in various forms, although I think that a lot of churches have a little difficult time with the weakest of the weak, and so do we sometimes, but I think we're going there more and more because when we deal with the weakest of the weak in our culture, people notice. And then we become this light on the hill that Scripture wants. We'll get to that in a minute. So really, we sacrificially become the salt of the earth and the light on the hill. So this is what God wants. But I want you to notice at least uh, both of those, those metaphors, salt of the earth and light on a hill. When we do those things, and it comes from helping the weak, um, the people around notice. They notice the salt in the food. They notice the light that's in the darkness. And that's the way Jesus likes it. It's really, really important. So in this time, while certain foundations are being attacked or are, are dealt with in a way that we don't think is right, it's so important that we maintain light and salt, that we maintain our saltiness and our, our light so people can have an alternative, right? You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salt again? Verse 13 of Matthew 5. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Wow. Think about that for a moment. So the Bible says unabashedly, we're the light of the world. Well, I don't know about you, but with regard to all the darkness and the things that we see around, I haven't felt very bright. My flashlight feels a little dull right now. How about yours? But that's not the truth. Wherever I live, wherever I am, I'm the light of the world. It just depends on whether I want to turn my light bulb on or not. This is how God sees it, and this is actually the real reality, the darkness. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put under a bowl. The only reason why you put under a bowl is you feel intimidated. You feel like, oh, it's not going to do any good anyway. But that's just the opposite of what we should be doing. Instead, they put on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So one response to our time is, with regard to justice, is we bring justice to people. We're salt and light. We, we express ourselves before the Lord. Matthew 25 puts it a little more clearly even. Gives us some, 
real specific stuff that uh, evidently heaven really likes. Verse 34 to, to 40 of Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So he's talking about when we get to heaven and how we live this life. And I think we should always be living this life in view of what heaven thinks, right? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. But God, all this interference, I didn't have time to do that. I mean, I was just trying to make a living, and then I, then I just, you know, those people that were oppressing us so hard, I just had to take a break, and I, you know, I was just trying to survive myself. It's very tempting to get into those places, just to be a survivor. I don't want to be a survivor. I want to be a thriver, according to God's definition. So I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I'm telling you, during this time of COVID and all the other crazy things, I've just been so blessed by how our church and how our people have loved one another. Texting them and communicating with them, bringing them food, encouraging them. And I'm sure we didn't get to everyone or do what we could have for everyone, but I'm telling you, uh, the church has really come alive uh, during this time of just good old common uh, love for one another. Um, just common, ordinary things that mean all the difference and at the least mean people get the impression that they're alone and there's just been an awful lot of people that get stranded in this virus thing and are in a hotel room or whatever and uh, I don't know what they would do without the body of Christ. This is what it looks to love justice as a believer. We take care of these sort of things even though things that have been inflicted on us from the outside that are not fair or not right or just downright demonic, right? So... I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, and uh, I want to just talk about it in this context. The greatest gift Jesus offers is eternal life. So this is always something that we have to emphasize, because everyone needs basically a new heart. They need a, uh, they need a new point of view. And until they get that point of view, uh, especially when there's great fear or great um, uh, apostasy in the air, or people that are actually attacking the righteousness and ta- attacking the foundations uh, that we know will give life and benefit a country when they're doing that. Sort of like you're in a tree and somebody's chopping it down and you're in it, you know, that, that sort of thing. It's so important that we get perspective. And I, I like this passage so much as we kind of wind down here. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and no... Uh, let me make sure I got this right. No, i got to start with verse 16. Sorry, that one's good too. Verse 16. So from now on... Regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Maybe someone out there that's listening to me is investigating the claims of Christ. Well, don't look at Jesus from a worldly point of view. You know, it's just another philosophy. Sometimes I think people just think of church as just one philosophy of many. And it's a pretty good philosophy. Or maybe they don't like it at all. Maybe they think it's a bunch of bigoted uh, you know, uh, racists or other kind of people uh, uh, way too concerned about abortion or issues like that, things that just seem totally out of touch with really common decency and so on and so forth, you know. But from now on, we, from our point of view, don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded Christ in this way, so we do no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So in all of this, our ministry of reconciliation stays intact. And so when we look at people, we, we, we can't just look at them through ordinary eyes. And even when they're really disgusting or they do things that we think are killing the foundations, our foundation is first in God. And they're just acting like sinners. They're just doing what sinners do. But we need to be concerned that they get reconciled. It's important that we minister to them nonetheless, as much as they'll allow us to. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So in this time of the 
foundations, it's important that we have a message of reconciliation, that we go to the real heart of things. People aren't going to think clearly till they come alive on the inside, till they get saved, till they know Jesus Christ. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And in this time especially, we can't regard people in a worldly point of view. We have to see them as possible people that could come to know Jesus Christ. We pray for them. We pray for their change. We, whether they're our relatives or friends that are driving us nuts and have a different kind of point of view, we see them from God's point of view. They need Jesus. They need to change on the inside. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's just so important that we don't view the world from a disgusted point of view, right? They might be disgusted with us, but we know that they will have a great point of view once Jesus saves them from the inside out because the world God has to change from the inside out. We see this in the story of Nicodemus when he tells Nicodemus, he says, you know what, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And so until people get born again, until they have that experience and let Jesus in their life, a lot of their values are not going to change, Right? But we nevertheless need to keep praying for them and asking God for them and, and knowing that this is the very place they need to go and not give up with that because the most important thing, if there's ever a foundation, is that you become saved, that you come to know the living God. And Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, you know what? No one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. So that something's got to happen on the inside of them. And we are part of that ministry team that gets them into that place. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He said, very truly, Jesus said, very truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but all, the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. This is a very interesting thing. In our concern with other people, you know, do not ever write anybody off. Even the person that's the most different from you, even the person that seems the most violent toward your views, never write them off. Because you don't know where the wind blows. Sometimes you think it should blow the way you would please you. But the wind blows sometimes without us, right? You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You never know when the Lord's going to do something. Well, our relatives or friends who maybe are hacking at the, the foundations. <laughs> we never know. And so it's so important that we don't view them just as... Uh, uh, unbelievers or the lost. We, we see the possibilities uh, from their life and God's going to change it from the inside out. God gives us authority wherever we go. And uh, even Nicodemus, he says in the beginning of this, he says, he says, I know that God's with you for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And so it is with us. We need to be willing, uh, and especially in an environment like this, to let the Lord use us supernaturally because there's just so much demonic, crazy stuff going on. That's what he told his disciples. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. We shouldn't be shy about praying for healing, praying for deliverance, praying for difficult situations, actually being actively in God, engaged in people's lives, expecting God to move. Freely we receive. Now is the time to freely give, even if we're maligned, even if they think we're jerks, even if we think... But they'll notice the compassion anyway. In other words... As I started out speaking, we, we can't unplug. We can't dissociate, I dissociate ourselves from, from the world. Matter of fact, as I started out, in the Lord I take refuge, how can you, then you, can, you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? We can't flee like birds to our own private place, hibernate, and hope this thing blows over. We are part of the solution. Oh, maybe we're a little more isolated because of the COVID virus or whatever, but not so much that we can't make a phone call. We cannot detach. Matter of fact, the whole world system right now is trying to get people separated, and especially uh, unbelievers from believers. This is the time we press in more. We can't flee like a bird to our mountain. I like that in Psalm 11, uh, uh, 1, right? This is a time for us to engage when the foundations are being destroyed, verse 3, what can the righteous do? Well, the Lord's still in business. He's in His holy temple. He's on His throne. He's still examining the righteous. He's still uh, evaluating the wicked. And we're all a part of this whole thing. As a matter of fact, if I could just finish with this, I, I just think this is uh, such a real thing right now, especially in difficult times like this. This is where God's people shine and rise so high. We are destined to become prophetic Josephs and Daniels. 
to our generation. Now, some of you know the story of Joseph, and most of you probably do as I'm turning there in Genesis chapter 41. Obviously, Joseph ran into a little bad luck. His brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt, and he thought it was the end of his life, but actually it was just the beginning of his life. The amazing thing is he carried God with him, and when he got thrown in this situation, what does it look like to love justice as a believer? Well, he had all kinds of injustice poured against him. He could have just withered away in that dungeon and died and gave up. But no, instead... When a couple of guys had some dreams in the dungeon that he was in, he interpreted them. His spiritual life stayed alive, uh, and they recognized it until finally he was brought before Pharaoh, of all things. And he didn't shrink. He he wasn't crushed. You know, Pharaoh was the one that was allowing to be in that dungeon in the first place. You know, Pharaoh, the whole system of it, he couldn't be so... Uh, uh, so angry at the system. You know, know, there's nothing I can do for Pharaoh, and if I could, I wouldn't do one thing for him. But here's what Joseph does. He reacts to him in such a way that when he has Pharaoh tell him his dreams, confidently he says, well, let me know about the dreams. There he is standing in front of the king of basically the whole earth. And he interprets these dreams, which saves all of Egypt. Interesting. This is a time when the foundations are being destroyed. What can the righteous do? We can be like Joseph's and Daniel's for our generation. I would say now is the best time for us to be those sort of people. And look what Pharaoh says. So Pharaoh had asked them, you know, around his, after he interprets these dreams, can we find anyone like this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? I want people to say that about me. Wow, we have a huge mess. This guy has the answer. You know, there's a lot of sub-answers that need to be done in the midst of this COVID-19 conflict. Problems that need to be solved. Wow, I wonder if the Lord gives us answers like that. He tells us, gives us the information. Matter of fact, instead of huddling and, and pulling back and, and just uh, getting all in our sort of like uh, anger at the world for doing this and anger at that election and this election, we should just go, wait a minute. I'm a representative of God. I'm, I belong first to the government of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Could it be that in this time, God could open such wide doors that people start relying on us in a land that has no answers? They start relying on us for answers. They start seeing a wisdom in us. They start seeing uh, ways to do things in us. They start seeing a value in us because we follow the Lord, right? And I just think of the same thing with Daniel, and it's another remarkable uh, si- uh, situation we see in Daniel. Uh, I want to just read from verses 2. He's with this king called Nebuchadnezzar. And again, you know, these are life and death situations. He wouldn't worship, you know, when he was in uh, custody. He wouldn't worship the way they would. He wouldn't bow down. He wouldn't let his foundation of his faith be destroyed. He actually risked death as well as the, the guys that were with him. But I want to just read to you the conclusion of this matter. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And so he's he's, he's actually interpreting a dream. He tells them the the meaning of the dream. And then verse 46, look at this. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. Ever read that before? He fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Our God is a revealer of mysteries. And actually, he likes to talk to his beloved. He likes to release those mysteries to ordinary people. So we need to be understanding that as the whole world's in trouble, God will reveal mysteries to us. He'll show us things, for you you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wisest men, uh, all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So as the foundations are uh, being uh, destroyed, or threatened anyway, what can the righteous do? These are some of the things that the righteous can do. These are some of the attitudes that I believe we can carry at this time. And I believe uh, God is available to us in such a unique way while the world is weak, God will make us strong, and he will give us clear, head, clear, clear ideas, clear thoughts about things, and, and be compassionate to people, and be part of the answer and not part of the problem. So, Lord, I just pray for anyone that's felt like they've been in a hole or just separated and not much use to anyone. 
I pray you would change their mind about who they are. They had the Lord of glory living inside of them. I pray, Lord, you would encourage them from this message. I pray, Lord, that you would show them what the righteous can do. I pray you'd speak to them. I pray they would pray and intercede in a situation. I pray you'd give them clear mind, clear thoughts in every way, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we lift all these things up to you. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.